listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. everyone. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. Today we have a really special guest and a great topic, one that I'm really interested in. Our guest today is Woody Gleisman, and he is the CEO and founder of Right Turn, which is an organization we talked about last fall a little bit with um, a couple of our mentors uh, from Westbridge. But Woody oversees the agency, which provides outpatient services, counseling, case management support groups for creative folks. And Woody is a licensed and certified addiction specialist. He has a master's certificate in human service management from Suffolk University and graduated with a bachelor's degree in human services from the University of Massachusetts, Boston. He has worked in the substance abuse profession since 1993. Complementing his extensive experience in substance abuse treatment is Woody's 25-year career in the music industry. He was a drummer for the national recording artist, um, Raven Ford, the Del Fuegos, which are certainly big in New England, uh, Big Dipper, Laurie Geltman, and The Embarrassment. Woody has worked as a composer, scoring many television and film productions, as well as providing musical direction for off-Broadway theater. So, Woody, welcome to One Hour at a Time. Um, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to talk with us today. Hey, uh, Mary, you... thanks. My pleasure. Could you begin by sharing with all of us uh, about how you how you created Right Turn and um, a little bit about what Right Turn does? Sure, yeah. Right Turn is a nonprofit organization. We're a 501c3 nonprofit that I established in uh, 2003 um, to provide creative treatment to creative people, their families, or anyone who would benefit from our services, um, primarily a lot of artists and entertainers. Um, and I, I say that because, um, Mary, my f- around the budget cuts of, of 2001, I had been working at the Cambridge Health Alliance at Cambridge Hospital teaching addiction. And um, a lot of services were cut, and around that time, my phones, my cell phone started ringing, just ringing like crazy. And it was there were people who were um, artists or entertainers, comedians, musicians, painters, poets that that I knew um, from from um, you know from my my time as a musician, um, and that they were calling me and saying, "Geez, Woody, you know, I just came back from a European tour, or I just finished a book." Or you know they've uh, comedians or just come from off of the road and they were struggling with um, with with uh, substance use disorder um, and were unable to access treatment. So for all intents and purposes, Right Turn really did start off on a cell phone and it was in the glove compartment of my car. <laughs> and it wasn't until 2003 that I actually established the nonprofit. And uh, uh, with the help of Dr. Ann Alonzo from Mass General Hospital, who passed away this last year, um, we uh, we opened up an office space with no expectation. We just wanted to just see what would happen. Um, and uh, the minute we opened up the office, we had uh, 
The phone rang 89 times. We had 89 people come through the door in wow. 2003. And what does Right Turn, what kind of services? I know that you offer traditional um, substance uh, abuse treatment, but in addition to that, what are the other services that people can get at Right Turn? Well, yeah, Right Turn really started off with counseling, and we started off with, with group therapy. And uh, we started off with one group in 2003. It was a group on Thursday evenings, and it uh, it was uh, at the request of the people that I was working with. They, uh, they said that they needed a group to talk about substance use and creativity. Um, so we started off with a group called the Artist in Recovery Group, which is a speaker group with round round robin discussion after the speaker. And now we've grown to having a uh, 26 groups on a weekly basis. Uh, a lot of them uh, are based in creativity. Some of them are didactic group with uh, with you know addiction education and relapse prevention and and process groups. But we also have, on the weekends, we keep the, the uh, clinic open seven days a week by having 12-step meetings on the weekends, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meetings and Adult Children of Alcoholics meetings. But on Saturday evenings, um, one, of the, one of the special parts of our program is that, um, that the artists or the entertainers, uh, the um, get to uh, get up and perform uh, in the clinic uh, on a small stage with, with um, a, you know, just a wonderful sound system that, uh, that, the, that the members of Right Turn elected to build. Um, they installed the, the uh, PA system with a recording system and a uh, multi-track recording system with uh, a, a nice, uh, nice stage area. And so on Saturday evenings, maybe for the first time in someone's recovery, you'll um, you'll be able to see someone get up on stage and read a poem or or, um, or play a song. Or um, um, we've also had uh, uh, an evening of comedy. We've had six sober comedians in one night. Um, who uh, so you know just really anything could happen on a Saturday evening. Um, because it's within our mission to support the arts. Uh, so we do have a Suboxone Clinic as well. We we work a lot with people who are struggling with uh, opiate dependency, and um, we prescribe medications around um, alcohol or opiates or uh, any other kind of dependency. Um, of course, medications is not always the it's not always the uh, the first. Um, it's not always the first defense against uh, the dependency, but sometimes it helps. Uh, so we provide family services as well. I'm I'm still trying to answer your question here, Mary. <laughs> we do a lot here. We do family therapy. We do. Uh, we have a family group on a weekly basis. Uh, because we believe that a part of the evidence-based practice at Right Turn is that, uh, you know, it's, it, you, we stand a better chance at succeeding if we incorporate the family. Now, is it a sliding scale? How do people pay? Do you, take, do you accept insurance? We, we don't accept much insurance, many insurances. We, we, it's primarily a fee-for-service. Um, there is a sliding scale, but for those who can afford it, 
Um, we uh, it, the um, there's an initial fee to get in and do the evaluation, um, and then it's uh, based on a 30, 60, 90 day, and up to six months worth of treatment. And, of course, we do have scholarships for people who, who can't afford um, services. I know that um, there are different occupations that have a higher rate of substance use, airplane pilots for one, um, dentists for another. And um, it seems like musicians and creative people, um, I think of Hemingway, I think of, uh, you know, of course, Jimi Hendrix and a whole bunch of creative people, that it seems like they have a high rate of uh, that profession also has a high rate of substance use disorders. Or is it just because we hear about it more? Well, there's certainly more up in in the you know in the news more frequently than than a dentist would be in the news because that's a part of their lifestyle. But at the same time, Mary, I'm going to have to suggest that that being an artist or an entertainer or a creative person usually puts you in a very high-risk situation to begin with. It's a very high-risk career. Um, As a former Warner Brothers artist uh, myself, I toured for many years with the Del Fuegos, and and I'd have to suggest to you that that, uh, it it really, there was alcohol and substances everywhere. And that it kind of was a part of what we did. And if it wasn't, then it be kind of became a part of what we did. It's really part of the culture. It, it is. And, you know, I talked to, and that's a part of the reason why we have our Saturday, our Saturday night live uh, performances here at Right Turn is, um, was basically at the, Providing um, an opportunity for a young man who said, geez, I'm afraid to go back into the bar rooms and perform, but, if, geez, if I can't go play my guitar, I'm just, you know, it's just going to kill me. So we decided we would have, we have this enormous space here that we decided that we would take advantage of that and allow this person to perform for everyone. And uh, I, I couldn't believe how many people showed up. It was there was just a, a tremendous amount of support for for artists in recovery getting up to perform. Well, the other side of that is it's nice to have a sober place for anyone to go and enjoy entertainment where they're not being bombarded with alcohol and other things. Um, I would think that there a lot of people that were looking for a sober um, night out would, would look to right turn. Sure, and you know the, the clients have taken uh, the people that we work with here, the members we could call them members um, at Right Turn have elected to put in a coffee bar with little with with cookies and snacks, and and uh, so you can come in and buy a cup of coffee and and listen to some uh, entertainment. Very civilized, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds it sounds exceedingly civilized, um, and kind of. Um, well, it sounds very unique as well. I don't know of any other place that I know of in the country that is doing what you're doing from um, a treatment perspective. Well, I don't believe that there is any place else, and, um, and but there seems to be quite a demand for it. Now, I, I would have to say that, you know, I'd love to take credit for all of this, Mary, but I, I really can't. All I've tried to do is answer the needs of the people that we've provided services for. 
In other words, they, I, they called me for help and I said, what do you need? And they say, I really need some counseling around my uh, alcoholism or my substance use disorder. And so we provided that. And then I said, what else do you need? And they said, well, we need groups. So we've continued to add groups on a weekly basis. We have um, discussion groups. We have big speaker meetings and small meetings and uh, gender-specific groups, a uh, women's group, a women's creativity group, and a men's creativity group. And we continue to 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 just say, what is it that you need? And, um, you know, if you want to bring your – people said, I really need my family to be involved, and, and we know that the evidence demonstrates that family involvement really helps reinforce someone's recovery. So we we added the family component long ago. And when they said, geez, you know, we really would like to have meetings at night, we have meetings as late as 10 o'clock at night that go to midnight, and we have meetings every day starting at 12 o'clock noon. And so when they suggested that they needed a, a, just a place to just to kind of hang their hat and, and, and feel grounded at times, well, we put in a piano and a table for people to have a slice of pizza and sit down and eat. Um, and, and then when they said, wanted a place to to perform, well, that's a no-brainer. We just kind of put up a big stage and made it happen. So it, it is kind of a unique program um, in that we provide uh, what I've always felt was, you know, the evidence demonstrates is, is going to help someone succeed in, in, in recovery. But we've also given people a creative outlet um, to reinforce their recovery. And I think what's really important is oftentimes in traditional addiction treatment, uh, people who work in bars, people who um, tend to be more creative, oftentimes what they're told is, is you cannot return to that or you cannot return to that in safety, you know, and it's almost like people are being asked to turn off a part of themselves. Right, and I, and I say to that, well, you know, that, that's nonsense. Maybe you just don't know how to go in and perform in a clean and sober uh, manner. And it's like saying to someone, you know, geez, you shouldn't be in a relationship in your recovery. And I say, well, that's nonsense. Maybe you just don't know how to be in a relationship. And so this is what we need to work on. And I think that this is what we do best at Right Turn, is we help people understand um, that that it's re- that recovery is a very uh, wonderful piece of the creative it's the recovery process itself is a very creative process and we'll talk more about that when we get back from our uh, station break we'll be right back to talk about creativity and recovery with Woody Gleisman from Right Turn you're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out. And you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Woody Geesman. Did I say it right? Probably not. Geesman. Geesman. Like the bird, geese. Yes. The L is silent. Um, no, it's actually G-I-E. G-I-E. Okay. All right. Well, um, for all of you out there, uh, we were talking about right turn and uh, creative people in recovery and expressive therapy that's a little um, outside the box of traditional therapy but is very effective. And Prior to going to break, we were talking about creativity and recovery and how those how recovery is very creative and how those are not mutually exclusive terms. So, Woody, could you talk a little bit more about how they're related? Well, I think that, first off, we the recovery process itself is a very creative process. And in that, um, it's, it's, it's an opportunity for someone to recreate their life and get on, well, I think that the, that substance use disorder or whatever addiction that you're, we're, we're working on is, is really a part of the journey. But when someone, when someone turns their efforts towards, um, recovery, that, that it's still on the same journey, but it's really kind of a, a journey headed off into a much more positive uh, direction. Now, and I, and I, I say that, uh, and I want to preface that by saying that our, uh, the, the model at Right Turn is not an abstinence model, that, that you do not have to be abstinent to participate in our program, that we are an engagement model. In other words, someone can come here and say that they would really like to get well um, and that we hope that Right Turn is that they feel at home at Right Turn, that Right Turn is a place where they can actually start to turn that around. But but the issue is is that, and, and I'll speak for myself um, as someone with long-term recovery, um, is that uh, 
that <clears throat> that addiction for me was kind of like, and we talked about this a little earlier on the break, that addiction is like the tro- a Trojan horse um, in the brain in that it kind of comes into the brain, uh, substance use comes into the brain, and when you're not looking, when it's dark outside, um, it unloads and it begins it, it it begins to take over and um, addiction begins to alter the creativity and the artists begin to lose their, the creativity and addiction becomes their new identity and at right turn we um, we hope to find um, what has been lost going through this process of self-discovery um, and, and this journey to a newly found freedom of, of, of creative expression. Now, that's to say that when someone goes on stage that, or when they're writing a song or, or, or and, you know, one piece that we haven't mentioned here, uh, Mary, is, is the high level of, of isolation that most creative people experience. Musicians on the road, they may be in front of an audience for an hour or two and, at, on, during the performance, but the rest of the time that they're not on stage, there really is a tremendous amount of isolation. And I hear this from the author who's trying to finish that book, that they spend a tremendous amount of time together and they have an experience of a, a great amount of difficulty putting the cork back in the bottle um, and so what we have to do is help people understand that somewhere along the line that, that substance use disorder or alcohol or whether it be food or uh, gambling or, or sex uh, dependency or whatever the addiction is has become a part of their creative process and has somewhat substituted their, the, you know, the euphoria that they, they receive from these substances or this addiction has somewhat substituted the creative process. And it's been, become very confusing in, the, in their, their thinking that when they think that they're doing their best work, they're not really doing their best work. And oftentimes you will hear people say, well, if I got sober, I couldn't write music, or I couldn't write, I've only been able to write when I've been under the influence, or I could never get in front of people if I were sober. Exactly. And, and there's no denial there. Some people say, well, I'm, you know, I've just been in denial for so long. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that no, people are not in denial. They know that they're using substances, and they also, they're not in denial because they know that they're having a problem with this, uh, but th- they're having problems in their lives. But the, the, the denial is really a measure of their level of ambivalence towards change, and that, that's one thing that I hope that we can work on when people come to right turn, is, is the connecting the, the issue that, that you do, uh, that people are using substances, and that people do have problems in their life, and that the, the, the reason why they have problems in their life is because of the substances. Does that make sense? That, it makes total sense. And I, yeah. Yeah, this model is really, if you think about the stages of change model, you're dealing with people that are pre-contemplative or contemplative, and you're engaging them where they're at. Absolutely, and we need to be able to help people make that connection, um, to uh, be, be able to match them to the stages of change, if so be it. And that we also need to help people understand that 
that, you know, addiction involves the dysregulation of the hypothalamus. It's, in other words, it's, it's really about dopamine. And that the dependency is the result of the neurochemical dysregulation of the mesolimbic dopamine system, and that, that it's the you know the key um, function of the frontal lobe. So what we need to help people understand is is that when they are in early recovery and they're experiencing these difficulties, um, as you said, um, I can't write a song without, you know, drinking something. I don't know how to do this. And in my early recovery, I'm afraid I can't do this. Well, there's the, there's this, um, you know, those early stages of recovery with, with the, um, with, uh, you know, the emotional, um, pain that people experience. Um, and not just emotional pain, but, um, also that emotional numbness. That people experience in early recovery, the um, anhedonia. Are you anhedonia? Is that inability to experience pleasure on a normal right. basis? Right. And that people really do experience that, and we kind of help people um, understand. You know what? It's okay. It, this is actually very predictable. I mean, Mary, I, I'm sorry. I've, I've been doing this for. 16 years now, and, and I've been clean and sober myself for 18 years, and one thing that people probably don't like to hear me say, but I do say it a lot, is, is that addiction actually is very predictable. And when I say predictable, you can pretty much um, let people know the whole post-acute withdrawal of substance use disorder and what they're going to be going through in their first 30, 60, 90 days up to 18 months and even three years of their, of their early recovery. And that you can help really, you can educate people and help them understand. Uh, I know that everyone's different in every way, but, but addiction is addiction. And people need to understand that you will, you know, you are susceptible to certain symptoms of withdrawal. Right. And the more they understand, the more normal it becomes and the less likely they are to relapse or, um, get derailed as a result of it. You know, and I say that all the time, Mary. I, say, I always say, hey, geez, I hate to normalize this, but I get it that you can't, you're not feeling pleasure when you sit down to... You know, this happened with a comedian that I was working with recently. He went out on stage, and he, he said his material. He told his jokes or um, whatever whatever he wants to call them and and by the you know when he walked off stage people said wow you were just killing me you were just really funny and what he was experiencing because he was someone in early recovery he was saying I could not feel any of this mm-hmm. I know that people were loving it right right right, right. but well, I couldn't feel any of this so at that point, he was probably more at risk for picking up, so he could feel something. Well, it's either and, and there's that split, that split moment decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to pick up the phone and call someone, or are you going to pick up a beer? Right. You know. And I think that you know what you were talking about earlier, Mary, um, in terms of people feeling a part of something. You know, most twelve-step programs. Suggest that that you stand a better chance of staying clean and sober if you if you do have a power greater than yourself and some type of a spiritual connection working in your life. 
And the research, um, at re- most recent research out of New York City uh, on Lower Manhattan demonstrated uh, that out of 380 of the uh, uh, addicted, uh, sub- chemically dependent pers- uh, people that they were working with at a certain clinic, that if they felt that they belonged somewhere, if they felt that they that there was a power greater than themselves and that they belonged somewhere, they belonged to something, that they stood, they 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 um, they uh, um, demonstrated a twenty-seven times greater chance of staying clean and sober that day. Now that's. That's a pretty tremendous figure, 27 times greater chance if you feel like you belong to something. And so this comedian felt like he really belonged to Right Turn, and in fact he, when he, he comes here and performs on Saturday nights. He does his comedy in front of clean and sober people, and he tries out new material to see what he's comfortable doing, um, you know, and, and, and because some of his material had to change. He can't continue doing old jokes about alcohol when he's not comfortable doing this. And so he feels comfortable here and he knew exactly what to do and it kept him from picking up a drink. Instead he picked up the phone and he came here after, uh, you know, the next day and went to a meeting and talked about it. Which is what we hope everybody will do when they uh, feel triggered or the urge to uh, pick up alcohol or drugs. Call someone, drop drop a dime, but I guess now it's a quarter. I will be right back with Woody Geisman to talk more about creativity and um, recovery. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celestia Renisi's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show. For women, men, children, and families, Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Woody Giesman, who is the founder of Right Turn, and he's also one of the therapists there. And we were talking a little bit about uh, earlier about um, you have Suboxone treatment. So um, is there a high rate of opiate use um, that you see with the folks at Right Turn? There certainly is, Mary. And and just so um, if, if it's okay if I put our website out there. You sure can. Yeah, you could learn more about our services by going to uh, www.right-turn.org um, or you can call us at 781-646-3800. And um, I would have to I'm thinking that these days we have about 80% of the people coming through our door um, uh, come to us with opiate dependency, Mary. It's very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, opiate very high is rate. in prescription drugs as well as heroin? Well, it's prescription um, medications that they've abused or bought on the streets, um, and uh, at, and I'm going to have to say that it's probably at a younger age than it, it, I think that it, evidence demonstrates a younger age the, uh, where people have experienced uh, the first onset of dependency that um, that high school students uh, have have. Um, Learn to outsmart their teachers. Uh, you know, when I was in high school years ago, this was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. We won't go there. Yeah. But you know, some of the children, some of the high school kids would go out and uh, you know they would drink beer at lunch or something. But um, you know, teachers can detect the odor of alcohol, and so the kids these days have outsmarted the teachers, and they they stopped drinking and they started taking. Um, pills um, that they can buy off the internet um, or can get out of mom and dad's um, medicine cabinet. And the the trend tends to be that uh, people begin to um, use and misuse and abuse and grow dependent on uh, pain medications like Percocet and Vicodin and uh, Oxycontin oxycodone and this sort of thing, and that these opioids are um, readily available, um, and they're very strong and they're very pure, um, and so after a while they tend to use them to the point to where they become dependent on them, and so they, they uh, a lot of the time, a lot of stories I've heard, Mary, is, is that they, they first used them, and then they began to uh, sell them so that they could afford to have them. And then they began to use up their own supply because they were using too much, and they tend to graduate to uh, heroin use because heroin is well for less than a pack of cigarettes you can buy a bag of heroin. Right. Right. And so um, we have um, a lot of opiate dependency here, and they're not all young, but there's. It's frightening to me to see just how many young people there are that have become dependent on opiates. 
So we, you know, we started using Suboxone here, uh, uh, buprenorphine. Um, we also use naltrexone for alcohol and some of these medications that can can help people um, through the early stages of withdrawal. We can treat them on an outpatient basis uh, successfully. Um, as long as they're engaged in treatment with us, I feel comfortable using these medications. You were talking in the last segment about the sense of community and how important that is, and I'm and I'm thinking to as a as an audience as a member of an audience that goes to a lot of uh, rock rock shows, and I can remember in the '60s, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for the band to come on stage. I, I remember the, uh, Black Sabbath in particular, and um, they kept us waiting for an hour and a half, and when they came on stage, they couldn't even stand up, and the music was horrific. <laughs> getting, and getting to the point where it just wasn't worth my time or money to even go to a show because the pervasive, um, you know, experience was the, the musicians were usually too stoned to perform. Mm-hmm. And and I'm wondering what it. I and I know when working with people um, as a clinician, you know, the the first time somebody wants to go to a rock, you know, like a, a rock concert, it's like, okay, who are you going to get to buddy you? Call your sponsor. You know, you put this big treatment plan on because people still smoke pot. There's still drugs going around. So I know that there's a lot to do to help support someone in recovery to attend the show. What's it like to have to support someone who's actually going to be in the show? Um, well, that's the beauty of Right Turn is that we have had people who come here and are going to go perform and every on the weekend, for example, they're going to go off and do a sh- some shows, and that that um, we we do sober companioning. In other words, I've gone out on the road with numerous artists, um, which is fantastic for me because I've had the opportunity to uh, go around the world with people. I was just in Paris a couple of weeks ago. I'm, geez, just <laughs> how how lucky I am to be able to go around, you know, or out and, and, and work with artists as they're performing. But if they're performing in the local area, um, one thing that's happened is is that we have a network of people who actually go out to help the person. Uh, all of the members of Right Turn, we've had as many as 20 people show up at a performance uh, for an artist who's gone on stage and, and uh, we've, we've helped them, supported them get on to while they've gotten on stage and supported them through the performance and and when they walk off stage we've helped them understand that they don't have to drink or celebrate uh their creativity by picking up a drink that um they can actually get off stage successfully and and leave the venue. Um, does that that sound right? That sounds great. It sounds like a good gig, you know. Well, yeah. Um and it's wonderful because, you know, a lot of people that come to right turn for treatment um get to be on the guest list for and go out and hear people perform. And it works both ways, Mary. Uh, I had a uh, young lady come up to me and say, "Geez, I've been clean and sober for a year and a half now and I've never gone out to hear music before." And so we all went out to hear this one person perform. Um, who had actually taken 10 years off from his performing career um, because of his uh, opiate dependency. And uh, that uh, he got on stage that night and performed, and, and people in the audience, mem- right turn members, were, were 
getting their their first time out in a club for the you know the first time in their recovery. What an experience that was. That must have been really cool. Yeah. Um, I, myself and some of my coworkers had an opportunity to go to your fundraiser a few weeks ago for Right Turn at the Berkeley School of Music, and um, I was just amazed at how how great the music was, how tight the musicians were. And I sat there thinking, oh, my God, everybody up there is sober. And this is, when you talked about camaraderie, I mean, everybody clearly was having a good time. There was none of this, can you top this? I can play longer, faster. You know, it was just it was just such a sense of community that, um, that you don't get to see very often. But it was just, um, it was amazing. Well... We, there were some world-class musicians up there. There were. <laughs> and I think that the passion was there, um, that they they are all there um, for the right reasons. And that, that, was, um, that was a part of the motivation. And, and I think that for, for me, when we do our fundraisers or, or sober events, that, that a part of it is also... To uh, take the D out of fundraising and just make it fun for people, uh, so that we can really celebrate um, recovery, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that that's important to me. Um, and I realize we're a little off track because we were supposed to be talking about o- opiates here, but um, we can come back to that. But I want to before I do that, I want to say. You know, and I know you'll be talking to Marianne Franguez soon, and I'm a mem- I am a, a board member for the Massachusetts Organization of Addiction Recovery, the more the more program, and uh, that w- one thing that Marianne does very effectively is is uh, talk about the stigma around addiction, right? Um, and that's very important that. When we put on fundraisers and that we talk about addiction in in the public eye, um, that that we do it the best we can, and we also talk, talk about it uh, with respect and uh, try to give people their dignity back, uh, because people need to understand that uh, addiction can look like anyone. Um, it doesn't look like just any type of person that that. It could be a musician or it could be a banker. It could be a doctor or it could be a, a, a teacher. And that that uh, addiction, uh, just because someone's struggling with the disease of addiction doesn't make, make them a bad person. No, it doesn't. But I wanted to get back to your question earlier about opiates. Okay. Um, because that's a lot of, of, a lot of the work that we do here at Right Turn is around... Uh, um, opiate uh, opiate dependency, and you know the it's it's fascinating to me that um, the leading cause of accidental death in the United States, in all of the states, is uh, um, is our automobile accidents, with the exception of Massachusetts. The leading cause of accidental death in Massachusetts is opiate overdose. Uh, in 2006, uh, we had 580 accidental deaths that were opiate overdose related, and then in 2007, the numbers grew to 620. So we really are looking at an epidemic here. 
Is that related to the purity of the opium, of the heroin? Um, it's really, there's a lot of young people um, overdosing on Oxycontin, for that matter. It's not necessarily heroin-related. But it's um, but there is a lot of heroin, and I, I think it um, you know in, if we were out in the greater west uh, northwest we would probably be talking about uh, methamphetamine I'm sure right um, but we're not we're here in, in New England and uh, you know historically New York City has also been um, you know really uh, uh, an amazing source of opiates, uh, mm-hmm. of heroin. Right. Um, so uh, here we are in New England. And, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, Mary. Why opiates? Why in New England? I mean, opiates are painkillers. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They, it kills pain. But it's very highly addictive, and it's, it's something that we have to continue to uh, to um, to work on. Well, I I guess I'll put it out there, but I think one reason is, is that New England is a is a mecca for medical treatment. We have a vast amount of doctors, and uh, opiate prescription isn't very well regulated. So on that note, we'll come back and talk a little bit more with Woody about um, creative therapy and opiate addiction and anything that anyone wants to talk about, please give us a call. We'll be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Betsy Hicks, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable, and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Betsy offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, adult services, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcast each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, um, to One Hour's Time. This is our last segment with Woody Giesman, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, client-centered treatment. And uh, one of the things that I think it's really important for everybody to understand, as Woody talked about earlier, is that addiction is a brain disease. It's a chronic illness. It's something that no one takes their first drink or drug and says, oh, I can't wait till I become addicted. It's something that happens to people in their brain, and we know that it's a chronic illness. It's, uh, the recovery rate is usually um, better than often asthma, hypertension, or diabetes, or at least it's the same. We know that it is related to lifestyle, as is hypertension, diabetes, and heart disease. And what has always been fascinating for, for me as being a person who has a company and who has previously worked in the um, in many treatment centers, is that when people were in the throes of their disease, as when people use alcohol or drugs, they're often asked to leave treatment. Now, one thing that both Woody and I um, agree on as program directors is that both of us work with people, whether they're using or they're not using, and that having to um, sign on to be abstinent isn't a requirement to come to Westbridge, nor is it a requirement to go to right turn. And would I just like you to talk a little bit more about that? So I'm not the only voice out here in the wilderness talking about the fact that treatment should be available whether you're using or not, and that we need to find ways to help people who are using engage in treatment and not just go out and die. Right. And, you know, and let me just throw one thing out there really quickly, and that's the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and that the definition of what a, a, what a drug addiction is. Uh, and I'm just reading this off my computer. It says, addiction is defined as a chronic relapsing brain disease that is characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite harmful consequences. It is a brain disease because drugs change the brain. They change its structure and how it works. Brain changes can be long-lasting and can lead to harmful behaviors seen in people who use drugs. And I think that that's a wonderful starting point for a definition of substance use. And that, <clears throat> geez, you know, why do people use drugs? Um, why do people use drugs? It's because they like the uh, they they like the uh, the intense feelings that of pleasure that drugs produce. Um, they also use drugs to, um, to um, well, some people who suffer from social anxiety or stress-related disorders or, or depression uh, begin using uh, or abusing substances um, in attempts to, uh, to feel less feelings or less distress. But some people just use them um, because they, they feel that they're, it's actually enhancing their, their uh, life style or their creativity, that they use them because um, um, they, f- they feel like uh, it's going to make them better, I guess. And 
And I guess probably the last category is, it would be people who use drugs just because they've seen other people do them. <laughs> but because someone needs help um, doesn't mean that they're ready to stop. And like we talked about during the break, Mary, um, I've had people come to me um, for help um, when I've worked for in other programs, and the rules of the program are, geez, if you're going to relapse, you have to go. And, um, you know, countless times I've turned to my program directors in the past and said, geez, we have to tell this person to leave because they've experienced relapse, and, and, and geez, you know, isn't this when they really need our help? is right. now, and um, I, I loved what you said earlier. What was that, that, that um, it's the only uh, disease that uh, when the symptoms... Um, you deny treatment. You denied. Can you yeah. say that again, though? It's Well, if you think about heart disease, um, somebody has a major cardiac incident, and the prescription is you need to lose weight, go to cardiac rehab, stop smoking, and um, stop, you know, any kind of alcohol use except for maybe a little red wine. And the person drops out of cardiac rehab, they continue to smoke, and they end up with chest pain in the emergency room again. Never are they told, come back when you decide to finish cardiac rehab and stop smoking. Mm. They're, they're treated like, oh, my God, this is a cardiac incident. They're whisked in front of everyone else, and they're given excellent care. And that's true with diabetes or hypertension, and if people don't comply with the prescribed form of treatment, they're not denied treatment. But with addiction if uh, or a substance use disorder, if somebody continues to drink or relapses, um, they're denied treatment. And that, to me, just, it's, it's so hypocritical. I just, I could go on for hours about it, but I just think it's exceedingly hypocritical by the treatment profession. Well, and I think that that's probably one of the reasons why I've always felt so comfortable um, talking about addiction treatment and also sharing the fact that I am someone who has long-term recovery because I want to kind of put the face on recovery for people and let people and educate people to the brain disease model in that, you know, we do need to understand that quite possibly 60% of the people that walk into my office and sit down and I do a thorough family history with these people, they demonstrate 60% of these people demonstrate a genetic predisposition to addiction, a very strong family uh, history, whereas the other 40% um, may have emotional attachments to substance use. But the the issue is, is that I like to put myself out there and say the problem is not in the bottle and it's not in the syringe and it's not in the slot machines or the candy jar. The problem is in the brain. Uh, It's a brain disease. It's not a moral issue. Mary, thank you so much for having me on today. You're you're welcome. And I think on that closing note, it is a brain disease. And um, if anybody is looking for help uh, for expressive therapy, for creativity... Go to right-turn.org. Right-turn.org. Right. And thank you, Woody, and look forward to your next uh, fundraiser. Thank you, Mary. We 
appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.